What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Who is this irresistible creature who has an insatiable love for the dead? Welcome, everybody, to Thursday evening here at KLRN Land. This is Brad Slager, along with Paul Young, and this is Disasters in the Making. And you were probably curious why you were just bathing in the dulcet, subtle tones of Rob Zombie as our intro, because Paul and I are delving into the holiday season. How geared up are you, Paul, for holiday Oh, man, you don't even understand my excitement. I have... Halloween is my favorite time of the year. I can't I can't pretend. I don't like Halloween at all. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> I did as a kid. It, it, I don't like horror movies, right? I'll I'll watch some action horror like Predator or Predator. It's pretty much <laughs> that's where I go. But like like I believe in ghosts. I believe in demons, so I won't you won't see me watch The Exorcist. You won't see me watch any like uh the fourth dimension or whatever it was with, with ghost films. I just, I believe those things are there and they're watching me and I can't, I won't deal with them. I won't do it. Oh, really? So, I don't care. Make fun of me. It doesn't bother me at all. I can so handle it. It's too close to home for you is what you're saying. It does. Okay. Yeah, I can't do it, but I will, however, watch them for the month of October. You're a gamer. You're a professional. I will watch the new Halloween film. Because I watched the last one and it left on a cliffhanger, and I just want to see how badly this stupid thing ends. It's like a train wreck. It's like watching She-Hulk. I'm just watching it for the train wreck. Oh, come on now. It's not that bad. Oh, my son and I just finished watching the last episode of She-Hulk before we started recording this, and uh uh-uh. They just did. They had so many ways they could have taken this character, so many things they could have done with it, and they they chose to make the main villain a set of online bloggers no no she hulk i'll give you is a piece of trash but to, to say halloween series is on par with that is where i take exception oh yeah you know <laughs> i remember growing up 
you know, we, you and I grew up in the age of blockbuster. So a lot of the, the horror films, you know, because it came out in the 80s and you're you're just a little bit older than me. Not much, but it's a couple of years, I think. And so but I didn't my parents didn't take me to see R rated horror films in the theaters in the 80s. I was like eight, nine. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't mm-hmm. that old, maybe 10 or 11. And when the first Chucky came out, what, it was in 88? So it was a pure 80s schlock. And I remember seeing it on the Blockbuster stores and shelves. And I'd take it over to my friend's house and we'd watch it over there when his parents weren't home. And I'm like, this is freaky. I don't want to see a doll come to life. And I hate dolls. <clears throat> we have a doll in our house. It sits in, the, it sits in a bedroom with its face facing the corner, covered up with a sheet. Nope. Not, <laughs> not going to do it. He's not going to do it. Do I dare ask why you retain this object in your home? <laughs> it belonged to my mother-in-law. She had it. It's got a little hat. It's just soulless eyes and alabaster skin that, that looks like the devil himself had poured onto its body. <laughs> okay, we're getting a window into Paul's psyche here. This is nice stuff. I mean, as for me, Halloween, I'm like, I can, you know. Give or take it, I don't hate it, I don't love it. It's just more of, you know, I, I can have some fun with it. I can partake a little bit. But uh, this year, I've got a bit of a curiosity going on. The stepdaughter, whose wedding had been delayed because of the pandemic, is finally getting married on the 29th, and she has encouraged people to dress up for the ceremony. Oh, really? So there will be various costumes at this event, and I decided I was going to bridge the event that way. So I figure, all right, it's a wedding, still something tasteful, so I'm going John Wick. Nice. And make sure yeah, you bring a make sure you bring the book with you. That one that he slams to that dude's throat. Um, I don't have that. I do have a beagle. I've got a pencil. <laughs> Gotta, give a, I got the coins. I even got the uh, the blood oath one that opens up for the thumbprint. I got one of those. I got a continental credit card. So very nice. I'm well well established, but I got myself a nice. Uh, I got a tux jacket that'll work. The black tie, the French cuffs, and so I can dress classy for the wedding. I can be in character, you know, with all the props and some studiously applied blood and makeup and such on the face to replicate the character so that way I can do both and then after that I still got a tux that I can wear from uh, future events okay. the wife is pretty upset with me you're not going she's like upset by the dog but that bothered her so much in the film that she doesn't want me walking around the wedding with a plush beagle under my arm a plush beagle <laughs> Like it's just the dog. He's like, no, you're not doing that. It's like, I'm expecting pictures. You understand where the group is expecting pictures of this, right? I'm sure it'll happen. (laughs) We can deliver. You better be posting something somewhere. But I got to got to give props to the uh, ten year old because you know I'm I was showing him all the stuff I got, put it together. He's like, wow. He's like, you should get a pencil. Like, dude. That's sharp. That's good one. <laughs> so yes, I got a fucking pistol to put in the lapel pocket. Perfect. That's gonna be awesome. You know what's not awesome? This movie we watched. Your selection. Yes, I was gonna say. 
Look, I gave you choices, and you chose. I said we should do the Munsters reboot by Rob Zombie, or maybe Bride of Chucky. You chose Bride of Chucky. Did it's you probably watch the better of the two of the two options? <laughs> yes. Did you watch any of that Monsters debacle? My son watched the first ten minutes and said, "This is stupid. I'm turning it off." And he hasn't. <laughs> we never restarted it. I don't know it's... if I ever get to it. I I, I don't understand. It's unwatchable. It's like what. We're I'm maybe 30 minutes into it, and it's like, um, one, I'm pretty damn sick of the green lighting. I don't know if he got bought those in bulk or what, but dude, Rob, tone that back a bit. We're they barely into the characters. Going, they said he went campy with it. Like, it, it was a purposeful camp. But, like... The show it, was already camp. I know. Like if you're if you <laughs> if you want to do camp, you need to understand how camp works. There's many well, scenes inside of Bride of Chucky that are that do camp way better than anything that, that had happened in the monsters based on the trailer. I'm like, I'm just assuming. Like, well, I can also this thing. I can but. take some exception to that as well though, because I'm I'm of the mindset that true camp is not something you can do intentionally. Right. You can't like the Batman 66 movie. It's campy because they tried to be serious and it came off as right. campy. They didn't go that, in there trying to be campy. I mean, the, like mommy dearest is probably the best example, which is a just absolutely deplorable film to watch quality wise. Everybody loves it and laughs at it because they were just so earnest about it. Right. You you can't try it. It's like when you intentionally make a bad movie like Shark Theta. It doesn't quite work. I mean, we love it for what it is and we'll watch it, but it doesn't hit that uh that high water mark of bad films because they started out intentionally that way. So that's your that it's like a built-in hedge or a dodge. Oh man, that is stupid. Well, yeah, it's supposed to be. Okay, well, you know, it's almost like explaining the joke to somebody. It's not funny at that point. <laughs> so, yeah, I would say that I would say that good camp, but good intentional camp, like if it's done intentionally and they try to do it, it's good because it is a parody film that they're making, and they're ma and the camp is understood to be occurring. Right. Well, then you're talking about more along the lines of satire there you go there you go that's 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 a good that's a good point so satire the, would be good so when you got rob zombie trying to do a camp version of a television show that was already campy it's almost like double negatives and it cancels itself out like so, what was that movie we talked about a while back with real will ferrell and uh, we did it, I guess, during voting season in 2020. Oh, well, Zach Athlonakis, and it was supposed to be right. satire. Yeah, well, she, not swing vote. What the hell? Uh, was we it? talked about that um, one too. Kennedy. I mean, I know the film, the title's escaping me, but but yeah, that's and Zach Athlonakis. It escapes me now, but that was the campaign. There you go. And that was supposed to be satire, but they took itself too serious. Satire that takes itself too serious turns into into bad camp. Satire that understands what it's doing can turn into good camp. 
Yeah, it's kind of like when you see a political cartoon, you know, they're supposed to make you think, but also laugh. There's supposed to be a wry sentiment to it. But when they get too serious, then it's just preaching. And it's, there's not any, any enjoyment to it. Like, you, you give me a good political cartoon, even from a liberal artist, if they make a point, if they're finding some absurdity or contradiction or hypocrisy, I'm on board with it. It's like, cool, all right, I get what you're going for here. That's cool. But when they just, like, point a finger and lecture to you, then it turns into, like, what late-night comedy is these days. Where oh, my gosh. They just come out and give a lecture, and then the, the audience doesn't laugh, but they applaud. Because, oh, oh, you really burned those conservatives. And then they clap. I thought you were supposed to be funny. I'm sorry. I missed. Did I miss it? But yeah, that's well, that's got... where problems arise. And the problems are deep in this movie for those oh, very yeah. reasons. Well, I've got two words for you. Bride of Chucky. <laughs> well, thank you, President Biden. <laughs> um, Oh, I've been holding off saying that one for, for a couple of days now. Yeah, I was going to say, you lasted all of two days on that one. Well done. I know. Bride of Chucky. <laughs> but the Chucky yeah. movies, in and of themselves, are a hilariously popular franchise, horror franchise. I mean, it's managed to reinvent itself across, what, six films now? We got Kurt, we got the eight films. They got Chuck's like one, two, and, yeah, Child's Play one, two, and three. Then they dropped the Child's Play, which is not common, but they dropped Child's Play and then went with Bride of Chucky, Seed of Chucky, and we will get to how that happens at the end of this movie. Oh Curse sure, of, Curse of Chucky and Cult of Chucky. So there must be there's eight films. Well, I know. If, here's the thing though, too, is you're getting diminishing returns as well as diminishing horror. I mean, they're, the reason the first Bride were, sorry, Child's Play, the, the first movie gripped people because it was like, holy crap, basically a demonic doll, which, like you say, the doll itself, by presence alone, is unsettling, and then have it become occupied with the soul of a serial killer and commence his work, yeah, that's pretty gruesome, and uh, it hits people. Oh, so there's eight movies. There were three first ones, three Child's Play, Bride, Seed, Curse, Cult. So that was seven, and they remade it with Mark Hamill doing the voice in 2019. Mm-hmm. Which, was, which was it was a huge failure. Dismal, dismal we performance. We could have talked about that one. They did the same thing with that Child's Play that they tried to do with the Halloween series, and when they reboot, tried to reboot that with Rob Zombie, is that they they try to make it too realistic, and that wasn't the point of of this particular style of horror film. I think they're doing. I think they're trying to do that with this new Halloween or um, Hellraiser and Hulu. I haven't watched it yet. They, well, they got a Cenobite. So the, the first Cenobite is Pinhead, and they took it from a male to a female character. Now, and I guess it doesn't really matter what gender the Cenobite is. I don't think they have genders in general, you know, as far as a demon goes. But I think what they tried to do is make it too realistic. They did it with fire. Hulu did it with Firestarter. They, they redid the Firestarter movie. The first one was a, a a fairly interesting Stephen King novel. The second one had they tried to rewrite the novel 
and change the characters and how things were based. And like, why would you do that? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, they they usually depart from the very aspects of a property that everybody loved initially. I don't get it either. But most of what you just described, though, are streaming services desperate for content and so willing to just reboot, remake, reissue anything that's in their vaults as far as property goes. So, Which is why Joe Dirt 2 came out on Crackle. <laughs> and then Rob yeah. Schneider Rob Schneider's got a new movie coming out and it's on um TV, TVO or something. He's he's got a, a, a sequel Tubi or something maybe? coming out. It might be Tubi. He has a new sequel. Fabulous, because all the watered down stuff that was barely recognizable on cable, they need to bring back. Tap into that fertile audience of nobody's. I think they're doing Deuce Bigelow again. Really? Yeah, I think that's pretty good. Is that what he's got coming up? I think he does. <laughs> so, there's a new one coming out. He's doing something new. and Because there's so many unanswered questions from European Gigolo. Ah, it's nuts, dude. But you know, okay, so here's what they've done with this Child's Play thing. And, okay, so I've watched them all. I mean, I don't like them, but I've seen them. And the first one is was successful because there was a good guy in the movie. And I don't mean the good guy doll. I mean, <laughs> the, the movie had a protagonist. Chucky, voiced by what, Brad Dorff? Brad, Brad Dorff. Dorff. Right. He's the bad guy. He's the main bad guy. He's killing everybody. And you know that the little kid was his name, uh, Archie. I believe so. His name? Arnold. Uh, wow. It's good. You're going so far back. I don't even remember. Uh, um, I, uh, I just focused on the kid, not the name. <laughs> well, he was in all. He was in all three movies, and then they they purposely went away from him. Um, Andy Barclay. Oh, just Alex pull it Mason. up now. Yeah, and Andy, Andy Barclay. So Andy is the good guy. He's the he's the main protagonist. He's he's fighting his own, literally fighting his own demon, and you root for him because he's a cute, adorable little kid. And Chucky is just bad. He's evil, evil incarnate. So you root for it, and you do that across three films. Then they decided to make Chucky the main character across the rest of the movies. There's no, there's no more protagonist. Everybody mm -hmm. in the movie is an idiot or just an absolute villainous dork. All of them. Then none of them deserve to live by the end of the movie. None of them deserve anything. You have no no thoughts, no feelings. There's nobody to root for, and that is mainly this movie's biggest problem. We're supposed to root for Katherine Heigl, which, by the way, I'm glad to see her. You know, not dressing like a slut at, at the age of 20, like she did in the <laughs> Daily Express we talked about a few weeks ago. Yeah, she was a uh, she was a curious addition to this, but. But, I mean, not she, really distracting either. She didn't do well, much. She's, well, she's a she's a hormoned up, you know, slut ball, but she's not 
she's trying to sleep with her rock jock band and boyfriend which is kind of weird she they act like she's supposed to be in high school i think here she's living with her uncle john ritter God rest yeah because uh but, they were going to prom and all that but she's 20 she filmed this at the age of 20 but if she's in prom how is that dude going to prom with her in high school living in a van down by the river <laughs> down by the river Now they were, um, yeah, I, th- I think they were supposed to be in high school. You know, you got to buy into that 25-year-old senior aspect of this movie, but uh, hardly the only problem with this movie. <laughs> so the, the way we begin this is um, the writers had to, you saw the, first off, the production on this, you know, we have to touch on the in the making aspect here. There was no real inspiration to do this. It wasn't as if, you know, they've got five or six chapters of story they need to retell. Right. Basically what happened was horror movies were on the decline. And then the scream franchise came and reinvigorated it. And these guys were like, Oh, people like horror again. We should do something. This is their inspiration. (laughs) When did I know what you did last summer come out? Um, I think that was on the heels of Scream. It was like in the like a year or two after. Ninety-seven. So it came out before Bride of Chucky. Right. And it's very nineties. I mean, that's those are very nineties style horror films. Yeah, it's like the basically the nineties wave of horror. Yeah, what, late in, late nineties. And. What the producers basically said to themselves were like, hey, people are going to horror movies again. We need to cash in. So here we go. This is our starting point. However, there's a problem. And this is something commonly seen in the horror franchises, and that's the primary killer was eviscerated in the prior movie. The Chucky doll was pretty much blasted into confetti. Yes. Yep. So yeah, he was tore up from the floor up. <laughs> so the the first challenge, as we've seen frequently in these series, how do we justify bringing back the killer? Because I remember, uh, I think it was, I think it was the second or third Friday the Thirteenth. Jason was killed off by throwing a chain around his neck, and a large boulder on the other end of it was dumped into a lake where he's then positioned on the floor of the lake dead done he's never coming back oh wait a second uh what if we have a psychic who doesn't have control of her powers and she accidentally invigorates him in the bottom of the lake <laughs> you yeah. know, that's that those those are the kind of answers to questions they have to come up with and they had to come up with one here So how do we do it? Well, so what I was if... trying to do the age. I was trying to do Jennifer Tilly's ages on this thing. So I guess she would have been the right age. She would have been 30 in 1988. So I guess that makes sense if she's going to be the long lost lover. Yeah, she's um, she was brought in and pretty much should tell you just about anything about the cast we're dealing with. She gets star billing 
as she arrives for the what fifth movie in this franchise? Fourth, number four. Oh, okay. Oh, so this is the first time they went with a Chucky title. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. First one. So, uh, yeah, she's the she's the love interest of the serial killer who occupies the body of the doll. Um, she's she's not a good woman. No. She's a uh, she's a murderous sort. She actually gets off on killing, and I guess she's <laughs> she's longing for the days when she was with her lover because she's currently occupied with. Uh, holy crap! This guy that she's with to start this movie. Wow. So, so that was a guy. Uh, it was Robert Arquette. And then he transgendered himself into Alexis Arquette some point in the, I guess, the late 90s or I guess mid-2000s. Are you talking about the performer? Yeah, yeah, it's Alexis Arquette, uh, who is the sibling to Patricia and David Arquette and Rosanna Arquette and Richmond Arquette, comes with a long line of Arquettes. He passed away from, I guess, HIV complications back in 2016. Yeah, but he came out and changed everything hmm. and became Alexis at some point. Well, That's in, this, in this movie, it's really a blatant attempt to go with a Marilyn Manson type. Well, that and that was the point. They originally offered that role to Marilyn Manson, and he turned it down. Huh. The, the, the movie itself is... It would have been different. Let's just it, it, well, it that. it both mocks and pays homage to a lot of horror tropes, like in the beginning where the police officer is walking through the. Uh, oh yeah, the uh, you got you got the, Leatherface's chainsaw, Jason's mask, Freddy's uh, finger glove, razor finger glove. Uh, what yeah, else and the there? evidence lockers. The the box from Creep Show was in there. Creep Show two. <laughs> and there's one other thing. There's a whole bunch of stuff in there. Yeah, but if if Manson was with this one, it, because this character is really, I don't know, pathetic. Right? <laughs> he's mousy. He's he doesn't uh, live up to the standards of Jennifer Tilly at all. Because I mean, he's got long black hair. He's got body tattoos everywhere heavy makeup on piercings all over the face, you know, trying like to go goth capital G O T H, but is really kind of a meek individual falling very short of her standards. So standards are just somebody that's willing to do whatever she wants. Well, she she wants him to actually kill people. Like he comes up with a photograph. Look, I did it. I finally killed somebody. And she's like, Oh, that's so great. Wait a second. Those are your painted fingernails in this picture, you know? So he staged it in order to impress her and she wasn't impressed. (laughs) This, this is our starting point. So her solution here is to bribe a police officer to go into the evidence lockup and get the bag of parts that is the Chucky doll. I'm and he, not... repl- he replaces it with something. But what was he? What did he throw in there? <laughs> they never showed what he put in there. It was like a manila folder or something, wasn't it? 
Yeah, he had some sort of manila folder. It doesn't doesn't say what's in there. He tosses it into the into the what was apparently a bus locker. Yeah, that's the other and it just thing. says unsolved. <laughs> There's a sticker on it that says unsolved. Yeah, he's he's doing that to replace a garbage bag that's filled with a torn up and burnt rubber doll. Okay, nobody will notice that. But yeah, the the evidence locker too makes no sense because the guy walks in and. They're all basically like a series of cages with all the stuff in them. And you can see through them and you can see like all those movie props that you just mentioned. And then he goes around the corner of that. And you're right. It's like a bus depot or bowling alley rental lockers. <laughs> yeah, it's, it makes zero, okay. zero sense. And I don't think they were trying to make sense of this. I think they were just trying to. Yeah, they probably found that in the prop department. Oh, let's use it. And just throw it in there. there so, go. yeah. So he gets this plastic garbage bag with a tag on it. Calls up Tilly. Tells her he's got it. They meet up in some, I don't know, airplane hangar or something it looks like. On a dark and stormy night. And she promptly slits his throat. Leaves him the, for dead. Is that the only person she kills in this movie? Uh, I guess technically. Because I don't remember. I think Chucky does all the killing for the rest of the film. Yeah, I mean, well, she's still an accessory, though. So, so she's that that doll is going to do life regardless. But um, she gets the bag and goes back to her trailer. She lives in an Airstream that's very well appointed on the inside, by the way. Nicely decorated. Mm hmm. And oh, outfitted, <laughs> and there's uh, the place is scattered with various dolls. You must have been completely unsettled by this. Unhinged, sir. <laughs> so we then get a shot from above as various doll limbs start to fall like rain onto a table, and now, then they never explain her doll fetish. By the way, there's zero reason for her to have a doll fetish outside of once dating the guy that has been turned into a doll that she's been following news clippings of. Well, maybe she uh, was... You're right. Maybe she was just preparing for this all these years. She has to hatch a plan, and in the meantime, I'll collect various dolls for body parts. But I, I mean, I guess... Didn't this whole thing mm -hmm. takes place in Chicago, right? The, the original, the original three films take place in Chicago. Oh, that, yeah, they never really established setting, I don't think. But you probably have to know that through the franchise itself. But all they did here is act like they needed to get to Hackensack, New Jersey, where he was buried. But he, he was killed in Chicago. Yeah, they Hackensack figures prominently in a lot of the dialogue. As far as the movie itself, not so much. Why but. are they going to Hackensack? <laughs> well, that's where he was buried with what? Of course, an amulet. <laughs> that's always my favorite movie trope in these things. If we, if we get a hold of the amulet, we'll be perfectly fine. But that's that's the literal MacGuffin of this movie. We have to go there, dig him up to get the amulet. So that well, we'll get to that plot point in a bit. First off, though, we have a lot of close-up shots of stitching of doll body parts. It, that was unsettling. 
<laughs> I was going to ask how you handled that. That um, was uh, look. I I have to turn away and look. Like I can't watch the, the the TV when I'm watching Ronan, and Robert De Niro is stitching up his own stomach after being you know shot. I can't watch mm-hmm. that. I, I can't watch people put their fingers in other people's body. I just ugh, can't do it. Like, people sew. They get close ups like in Grey's Anatomy. And they start showing people like sewing the skin together. I no sir. No. But this was uh, plastic and latex with no gore. Doesn't matter. This is okay. gross. <laughs> Absolutely gross. She's got a very prominent hook needle that she uses here too. <laughs> so she's uh, you know plunging it into the extruded plastic dermal layers of these dolls. I'm just trying to make you as sick as possible here. It's working. Okay. Um, as she pulls the leather strapping through to connect the various body parts, reconstitute Chucky. And she used, don't forget the staple gun. Oh yeah. That seals a few of them up with. <laughs> with well, with she the, staples his hair to his head. The construction the the grade movie, staples. For the rest yeah. of the movie, there's like three tufts of hair. He looks like, it looks like a bad toupee and it's been stapled to the side of his of his face. It's well, yeah, hanging there. You can see the anchor strip for the hair on the, <laughs> on his temples. I mean, I'll give I'll give the guys credit that created the dolls. They, I mean, the dolls are funny to look at. They did a good job creating. Oh yeah. Well, this is why the first movie works so well because when you look at the you know, the My Buddy doll, it's a very uh, not plain, it's, but it's a very absorbing. You know, big eyes, soft features. You know, oh, I just you're my favorite, and you want to hug him. And then when he gets possessed, the face actually contorts and becomes a villainous appearance. And and that's part of what made the first movie work so well. You see the transformation of the doll as it becomes evil. Here it just starts off as evil, and then this particular movie, evil and grotesque. He's he's a Franken doll, literally. Hold up. There was a Chucky TV series on sci-fi? Oh, I want to say, yeah, that does ring a bell of sorts. I didn't see it. Well, I was reading, I'm just reading about how they promoted this movie. And he, Chucky appears in a episode of WCW Monday Night Nitro in 1998 to, to, to taunt wrestler Rick Steiner. (laughs) <laughs> and, and to promote the movie Bride of Chucky. And I'm like, what? And then it says he later appeared in an episode of WWE's Halloween Havoc in 2021 to promote his new TV series. And I'm like, well, I'm clicking on that. This <laughs> Chucky TV series on sci-fi in 2021 of October of last year. I do not recall that coming out. Yeah, that did not make much of an impact, I'm guessing, here. No, but I mean, Brad Dorif comes back. Jennifer Tilly is reprising her role. Oh, really? Yeah. And I guess maybe I'm going to look into it. Oh, hmm. Andy Barclay is back. The second season of the show just premiered eight days ago. What, what in the heck? How is nobody contacting us? How are I, what? we? Should, we should be on some email chain somewhere. It's like, hello, you know, bring this to our attention. This is right in our wheelhouse and in your benefit, you dumbasses. Wow. What in the world? 
<clears throat> Holy crap. Two seasons of a show I've never heard of. No lie. Jeez. That's uh Ten episodes, so they're they're thirteen episodes into this thing. Okay, well clearly we have to watch this now. Yeah, we're we're behind on some things here. Um is sci-fi a Disney or I mean a NBC property, right? Yeah, sci-fi is NBC. It was on sci-fi and USA, so I think you probably find it on Peacock. Yeah, I'm, I mean that's what I watched this on. So yeah, it's on Hulu and on Peacock. All right. Well, guess we're gonna we check it out. Yeah, we we got to do some homework here. This is a. Uh, I feel, I feel bad, no folks. I feel like good. Oh hell no. Especially the fact that nobody's heard of this yet. It's got a second season. Yet this is sci-fi, so that doesn't mean much. Um, <laughs> it just means they had some extra cash laid around. They wanted to throw yeah, it was, Well, that wasn't too expensive. Let's do it again. Is pretty much what it comes down to. One more time. All right. Well, she. Um, <laughs> you know, the, our show is about as scattershot as this as this uh, movie. Yeah. Okay. So she's. She's put the doll back together, but what next? So she has to uh, get an incantation to bring him back to animation, I guess. Tell me, now, you, tell me you saw the, the book she was reading. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. She was reading Voodoo for Dummies. Now, for those of you who have no idea what the dummy series of books were, it was essentially... Tur- it, it was something that started off as a way for the layman to learn about very specific types of ideas, events, projects, activities, without having to go through the process of actually learning that process. Nowadays, we just call it TikTok or YouTube or YouTube <laughs> instructional videos. Yeah, I think didn't it start out like with there were like computer instruction manuals, you know, like yeah, it was AOL it was like, for it would take something that something was super like that. hard. And they would make it for dummies, lawyering for dummies, computer programming for dummies, right? And it's essentially what it was. Well, it became its own, I don't know, parody, essentially. Hollywood turned it into, I need to know, if I need a character to know how to do something, I will just give them a for dummies book, and that will be the joke. It's Top Gun, learn how to fly planes yeah, for dummies. Pretty much. But I mean, the was, problem is, though, before that step... The, the the book series was wildly popular to the extent that they, they any subject would have a four dummies release that was legitimate. You know, it could be yeah. baking sourdough for dummies, gardening for dummies. You know, I mean, anything Fine. you were interested in would have four dummies attached to it and you could learn right away. Now, now the, the for dummies stuff goes back to the 70s. Like it, it wasn't a new series of books. It goes back into the 70s. Really? Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. Auto Repair for Dummies came out in 1976, and it has the same <laughs> same sort of logo. And obviously, the paperwork and the, the covers have changed. Uh, success at real estate for being a real estate agent for dummies, and those were kind of people things that people wanted really wanted to do. And then it got kind of got replaced a bit by the Complete Idiots Guide. Yeah, that figure. was a, the competitor. And it was huge in the 90s, so it makes sense that they would put that in there as a campy joke. Yeah, so Hollywood definitely used that as a shorthand throughout. I mean, it, that yellow and black 
cover and typeface were automatic. They probably had a template, and it was just like, hey, we need a dummies book for the movie. And then yeah. two minutes later, they could print one out and hand it to the prop department. So That's right. Voodoo for dummies. It, so, yeah. Th- this movie screams 90s from the soundtrack to the, the way they're dressed, to the, you know, to the gothic wear, to the book, to the cars they're driving. I mean, every, the places they're shopping, everything just screams 90s. Yeah, yeah. This is uh, pretty much when anything gets to Hollywood, it's the same thing as when any kind of cultural touchstone like something is really hot in the culture once corporate america gets a hold of it that's when you know it's dead so like the same thing with hollywood by the time anything makes its way onto a movie screen that's that's the death knell of it being cool anymore (laughs) it's so um, he's using an ericsson mobile phone yeah this is uh basically when it makes it to the big screen that's when you know it's no longer cool because, A, the, the corporate bigwigs are getting a hold of it, and then you got probably a six-month to a year lag time before it makes it to the screen. At that point, it's like, it's pretty much when your parents started rapping. That's when it became uncool. Same thing takes place with corporate and Hollywood. So the, the goth people in this movie are just, like, over-the-top goth. <laughs> oh. It's pretty much like if a 45-year-old guy was saw a picture somewhere and he's like, okay, I want that in my movie. And then they just go times 10 with everything. Oh, they wore a lot of black clothes and makeup and stuff. So just load it on tattoos from his neck all the way to his ankles. Uh, okay. And it has to be that it's not, they're not thorns. It's like a tribalistic tattoo and it goes across his entire body. <laughs> I never understood the tribal tattoos ever. <laughs> like all the meathead douchebags in college would get these tribal tattoos on their shoulders. It's like, what tribe are you from, dude? Yeah. You, you don't look Samoan. I'm just questioning things here myself. But it was all the rage for a good 10 years. Yeah, and that's what our uh, Marilyn Manson avatar has on his entire body. His entire body has a tribal tattoo, so that killed the tribal tattoos as well. This film is the basically the cul-de-sac of a lot of cool cultural items, it seems. But uh, Jennifer has to bring her beloved back to life. So she puts a pentagram on the floor, places the doll in the pentagram, and then her asshole Marilyn Manson boyfriend shows up. And here's a question, and I don't know it can be answered. She she was doing this ceremony in order to get her serial killer's soul back into the doll. Where was his soul in the meantime? Uh, maybe that's what was in that Manila, manila envelope. <laughs> I mean, uh, the, you know, the... Because their whole plot line is, you know, he's in the doll, then she later gets to be in her doll. And then they need the amulet in order for their souls to go from the dolls into other bodies that they are kidnapping. But there has to be some sort of soul waiting room or limbo somewhere. Because Chucky got eviscerated the doll in the last movie, and then where did his soul go? Is my question. That's this is this is where my mind goes. I'm trying to 
I'm trying to occupy your universe here, but it's not making sense. But anyway, she she does so while she's mocking and ridiculing the boyfriend. She turns around and the pentagram is slightly smeared now and the doll is gone. Kind of a good effect, I guess. But she realizes she was successful. So she sends the boyfriend to go get her lipstick from underneath the bed or her sofa. And this is where we first encounter the live Chucky. There's a lot of CG in this movie, by the way. Uh, there is, but... It, there's still a lot, enough practical effects. Like the, the dolls, man, they, the puppeteering was pretty extensive on these things. Oh, yeah. We have like three people operating just the face. I think they said it was, it was over 10 people to operate at any given time because they had to do the, the limbs. The head had to turn. They probably had like one tech just doing the eyes and the eyelids, some other tech doing the mouth. And I think the, the from the head up or from the neck up was all radio controlled. And then everything for the body, the hands and the fingers, that was all um, puppeteered like from behind via cables. Right. It's, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, they won an award actually for special effects. And I would say that's probably well earned because there's, while mm-hmm. the movie itself is garbage, the, the special effects are pretty cool as far as the puppets go. Yeah, because when, like, anytime the puppets speak, it's not like the mouth just pops open and closed. The, you can actually see the mouth contort at times. They smile. Things the of this sort. Blinking. Yeah, and you see, like, you know, the forehead will narrow down and up when they're thinking and things. I mean, it's actually, you, you buy into it enough. It's still very robotic, but also I think it's supposed to be to a degree because it's a doll that's occupied. So you allow for that. It's like, okay, this works. I'll, I'll go there. But the um, Chucky is alive. The new boyfriend is somewhat dismayable. She had coached him onto the bed for sex. He's, handcuffed to the bedpost. And this is after the guy, you know, sees the Chucky doll, mocks it. Oh, this is from the 80s. And he throws it away. Pissing off Chucky. And Chucky's also jealous, by the way. Dispatches any guy that dares look at his woman. So once this guy is handcuffed, Chucky crawls on top and promptly smothers him with a pillow. He says, he makes a reference and says, it's not one of those dolls that pees, is it? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, he showed that concern, but in the scene earlier, he had the doll on his lap, and then he had it hopping up and down like he was humping it. The the that's actually the whole movie has a lot of these references and throwbacks, but it's it's a callback to a scene in the first film where he says, "You've seen those dolls that that pee. This one bleeds." So the 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 movie has just a bunch of callbacks like that. Well, this and is not just callbacks to its own franchise, but like callbacks to other things and other franchises and other t- unrelated TV shows. Yeah, there's uh, a raft of pop culture references in this thing, which, you know, this is this was a severe departure from any type of horror. This, a lot of this was intentionally comedic. 
the this is how broad it was too. The the producers said they wanted they they liked the fact that the movie was a balance, as they said, of horror, romance, a road picture. <laughs> I mean, they were bringing in all these different elements that they wanted to take place here, and no, no, you're you're. I mean, the romance was between dolls. That's... Yeah, it, 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 and it sort of worked for uh, America World Police. It worked for that because that was the point, right? That that was satire, that was parody, and you know the the South Park fellows really know how to do that well. Right, but that was within. They were using puppets to create a realm. This wasn't Chucky is our realm with puppets in it. And the puppets are the ones that are in love. Doesn't quite stick. No. But Kay will play along to a degree. So she all right, she witnesses Chucky smothering killing the boyfriend. And all of a sudden, their relationship goes sideways. <laughs> I mean, like that quickly. She's talking about love. She's talking about a ring he left on her bedpost. And Chucky's having none of it. Like she's saying, oh, you know, and then we're going to get married. And he just busts out laughing. He did everything but call her a dumb bitch for saying so. <laughs> and she doesn't take kindly to this and promptly... Places him in a crib, slides the crib under a table, and then locks it in place. She had this already designed and set up in her trailer. Yeah, a crib with a lock on it. So she was planning at some point in time locking Chucky. I mean, this... (laughs) Maybe she didn't know what was going to happen with him. Like, maybe she thought, okay, I'll be able to bring him back. But, yeah, I don't, but she would have then had to have had it in her mind that things were going to go sideways at some point, and she would have to lock him up, which calls into question her thinking all along. But that's us applying our pragmatism, Paul. That's our fault. She, uh, She next has to cart out the dead boyfriend in a steamer trunk and have the hunky chunk muscle next door, who's our other love interest, Catherine Heigl's secret boyfriend. We got to get into this plot point. They're going to the prom. A little meek blonde kid shows up at the front door, and I didn't understand why did... He he gets greeted by the chief of police, but it's not Catherine Heigl's father, it's her uncle. Played by John Ritter. I don't know if they ever explained why why she lives with her uncle. Maybe her parents died at some point, left. I don't know. They never really explain it. No, the way it's set up is like her parents maybe died. He had to move into their eight bedroom mansion to care for her. Cause he even says, once you turn 18, you can go to hell for all I care. But until then you won't embarrass me. This is the love and affection between her and her uncle. Yeah. And he doesn't want 
So she's basically trying to uh, play off or present this gay blonde dude as her jock her jock boyfriend and he's explaining what or it's lilies the difference between lilies and orchids and how to properly keep you know, it's they they claim that this is the first time uh, an lgbt character has appeared in the series and that you know it's praised for doing that but they made him into a trope it's not as if they used him properly he wasn't just a character it's like oh uh i know all about you know male gay stuff well, that's the thing is that flowers alive. That's if, you know, a real per, a real man's not going to know how to keep a flower watered. I mean, this what? Yeah, they never actually come out and say he's gay. It's like they throw all these touchstones at you that wink, wink, nudge, nudge. So he's talking to the chief of police. And he's like, oh, so you're going to go to Princeton. What are you going to study there? He's like uh, uh, drama and performing. You know, yeah. And then he said, did you go on a sports scholarship? Yeah, I did. Hockey? Uh, no, no, figure skating. And then and John Ritter just closes his eyes and nods as if, oh, okay, I understand. Like, the only way they could have made it more obvious is if the guy said, no, figure skating, and then turned to the camera and winked. Well, <laughs> late, later in the car, she says, well, you know, you can go hit on so-and-so. And then she mentions some dude's name. She goes, he goes, oh, no, thanks. He's not my type. Well, no, he said she's not his type because he's driving her in the car. The boyfriend pops up in the back seat, and then he takes his hands off the steering wheel to very flashily put an earring in. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, I didn't they, that. Yeah, she's just like, oh, you know, they start kissing over the seat. And she says something to him like, you know, oh, I hope you don't get jealous. And he's like, oh, please, you're not my type. And then, you know. He uses both hands to put this earring in while driving down the roadway. They should have just put letters on the screen and just say, you know what we mean, right? Yeah, but it's, it's for them to claim trying to write something that they don't know anything about, but they're like, hey, look, we included it. Give yeah, us props. Gay, gay people do this, right? Yeah, but that's exactly what they do. But it's just funny for them to like lay claim to being one of the first movies <laughs> to feature a gay character, but they were too scared to say the word gay. <laughs> yeah, you're brave. But uh, we see now how evil and vile her uncle, the police chief is, because he calls in one of his sheriffs or deputies, what have you, to pull them over in a rainstorm on the way to prom. Frisk him, give him the breathalyzer and all this stuff because he hates the boyfriend. Well, not, they yeah, don't the, well the uncle them. tells the uncle's the chief of police and he tells the guy to pull him over, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, and because there's a later scene too where he's like, Why do you keep doing this? And he's like, because the money's good. He pays me, that kind of thing. But he keeps saying, like, I don't want this kid to embarrass me. How is a high school Lunk gonna embarrass the police chief in any capacity. I don't. They, <laughs> there, there's a lot of assumed drama here that we have to fill in the blanks for, as usual. So that's that's the establishing side plot because this is gonna marry in with our demon dolls. 
that are squabbling and fighting now. She's pissed off because he won't marry her. He's pissed off because she's a typical broad that wants to get married and tie him down. You know, because these are all the concerns you have when you're occupying a doll with your soul. Oh, yeah. And high on the list. <laughs> that she comes in with a female version of the My Buddy doll in a wedding gown, and she drops it in the playpen to mock him and promptly locks him back up again. Like, this relationship went sideways in a heartbeat. And she had a, she goes and buys a doll. It's it's like a miniature doll. She goes and buys this miniature-sized doll and then wraps it in gold foil and paper with a bow (laughs) just to to unwrap it in front of him. Yeah. That made no sense either. All this after dragging the dismembered body of the goth dude in a steamer trunk out to her car. They don't say what she did with said steamer trunk. And the boyfriend who lives next door helps her put this steamer trunk into her car. And Mm -hmm. during this time, she says something that will turn up later in the movie. Uh, If the woman does does all the cooking you should at least be willing to do the dishes oh she's all about that isn't it i mean that's like i think three different times they mentioned this and they i made slave it. over a hot stove and you didn't clean a single dish <laughs> right i mean it was the whole it was the point right they make it a huge point to show during he, this time so that they can use it they can use it as a uh, ex machina scene later in the movie but he's a doll. He can't reach the sink. I mean, he's pissed off because this doll won't clean a dish. Understand, she hasn't seen him for 10 years. They said that part. So she brought him back to life after 10 years so she could bitch at him about not doing the dishes. This is, I mean, we're not even 20, 30 minutes into the movie and we're already going sideways, so. Their relationship is on the rocks. She goes to take a bubble bath. And Chucky goes into the doll's, well, gets to the doll's hand. She's wearing a wedding ring, which has to be plastic. But he uses this to shave the bars in his crib prison. And breaks free. And promptly goes to where she's uh, in the tub watching TV. And Chucky throws the television into the bathtub, killing her. Now, did you notice what was playing on TV? Oh, damn it. I did, and I forgot now. Remind me. So the first thing is from Murder, She Wrote. Yeah, that I saw. It's Murder, She Wrote, and there's a reason, and I read it. I'm trying to find it here now. Okay, it's a... Murder, She Wrote from 1984. It's an episode that featured Jack Colvin, who played Dr. Ardmore in the first Child's Play, Beth Grant, <laughs> who played Miss Kettlewell in Child's Play 2, Peter Haskell, who played Mr. Sullivan in Child's Play 2 and Child's Play 3, Jeannie Agutter, who played Joanna Simpson, Joanne Simpson in Child's Play 2, David Ma- Duncan Matthews, who played Colonel Cochran in Child's Play 3, and none other than Chucky himself uh, was in that episode of Murder, She Wrote. Brad Dorif is in that episode as an actor 
of the what? episode. Wait, wait. Yeah. So all of those people from the series were in that solitary episode of Murder. We're Show. in that one episode. Holy damn, is that awesome? In that, I mean, that's a pretty cool little piece of trivia fact <laughs> right there. Uh, okay. Yeah, I that, but I like that. I will give the creators some some credit for going back and finding that because this is 1998. They're probably making this in 96, 97. So it, the internet as we know it now was not even really a thing. You had asked Jeeves to find this kind of information. And there was no way you were going back to IMDb to, to, to cross-reference like we can do now. So for them to go and look all that all that up and realize that they had that kind of thing going on and then place it inside the, the movie, major props to them for doing that. Well, I almost wonder if that wasn't intentional, too, because Aggie and I, we talked about Angela Lansbury, who just passed away on Tuesday. I know. God, uh, we, I so we talked about it on the episode and she said that Lansbury, you know, when the show became so big, she would have the producers bring in a lot of her performer friends. And so if one or two of them were part of that, they maybe even intentionally said, let's bring in a bunch of people from child's place since we're already doing this. Brad Dorff's not working. We could bring him in. And that yeah. maybe caused a number of people to become involved as a result. That's, that's kind of cool, though. Yeah, that's a that's a good that's a good point. That, that's probably how that happened. Still pretty cool that they found him and was able to mix that into the movie, and it and it made yeah, that's, it work uh, in the scene. That's uh, what the kids these days refer to as an Easter egg. Yes, and that's really, cool. I I didn't notice it. It's I had to find it. I had to find that piece of trivia online. It's not as if I noticed that and then went through and put it all together. Yeah, there's a lot of a uh, lot of inside uh, interplay going on. That's kind of cool, though. Give them uh, give them some props for it. Cool. So he has uh, he's killed his beloved or former beloved since they're pretty much hating each other right now. But as she's descending into the suds in her soapy demise, the doll is there beside the bathtub, and Chucky starts reciting an incantation in order to have her soul occupy the female doll. Now, I don't recall this. and Maybe it happened, and I don't remember it from the first movie. But was like, was Chucky, was he like some sort of weird voodoo expert and i missed it um yeah i guess he is well this it's was dying murderer charles lee ray uses voodoo magic to put his soul inside of a doll named chucky so i guess he does know voodoo and he's using it to his advantage okay but here's my question and again this is me applying our logic to their universe they relatively easily bring their souls into the dolls, right? Mm -hmm. Crack open a book, throw some salt on the ground in a star shape. Boom. You can bring a soul into the doll. Yet the entire reason we're going to hack and sack New Jersey is because he needs his amulet in order to transfer their souls into other people. So it's easy to put them into a doll, but it's very difficult to put them back into a human. Is that the way it works? 
I guess they could go into inanimate objects better than they can go into animate objects. But I, mean, I, look, I don't know the complete view of the rules here. <laughs> but, I mean, it, just on this film alone, it's real easy to stick a soul in a doll. It's real difficult, though, to go from a doll to another human. That's These are their rules as they've laid them out. Isn't he trying to, like, possess Andy's body at some point? Yeah, that was the whole reason they had to bring the kids with them to New Jersey. So when they pulled out his corpse from the coffin no, I, with the... I mean in the first trilogy. The first... Oh, oh, oh. Um, that's been so long. I got to plead ignorance. I can't remember if that's what he's trying to do or not. Because he doesn't have to talk about the... That's the first time they've talked about the amulet that I'm aware of. Yeah, it's like the the amulet's real important for one version of transference, but the other transference is real easy, and you don't even need an amulet for it. You just need a book for dummies. That's the part that gets me. But again, I'm I'm applying way too much logic here where the screenwriters did not, so I shouldn't occupy myself. But now the plot has become apparent to everybody. They're both in the dolls now. They need to get the hack and sack. Uh, Jennifer Tilly is a little bemused, but then she transforms herself. She uh, She's in the doll and all of a sudden she applies makeup. I'm unaware, when did she get the boots and leather jacket and other accoutrements? <laughs> she's, wearing, she's wearing combat boots. She's little, got little doll combat boots. She's got doll-sized Doc Martens. She has a doll-sized motorcycle leather jacket with studs and everything else. Where did this all come from? <laughs> she no never planned to become a doll. So where did she never went shopping? She never bought this stuff. <laughs> but she all of a sudden, it's just sitting around with the rest of her other dolls. <laughs> biker Barbie. She's pulling off a biker Barbie. Well, she actually says that. Eat your heart out, Bob. She looks like a doll version of a extra from a heavy metal music video. Like, like she should be crawling across the hood of a white snake car. Exactly. And Chucky sees this and is completely smitten. Holy cow, look at her. She's smoking even. Oh, my God. You know, like he's... Well, we'll get into... <laughs> I was going to say... The plastic doll was getting wood, but that's actually oh a God. line of dialogue later. That is a line in the movie. But now they're in love once again. Um, they have to reconstitute themselves and get back into human form. Which also makes no sense because she was just in human form. But I guess he had to put her into a doll to motivate her to go to Hackensack to put him into a body. So, how are we going to do this? Well, she calls up the meathead jock and tells him she'll give him 500 bucks to take the dolls to Hackensack, New Jersey. Because and they then, need to get the eye of Akamato or whatever. Yes, this is, this is the amulet that's in the coffin of, of Brad Dorff's. What is it? What did they call it? The heart of rock and roll? Heart of San Francisco? Where, where was it? What is it? The heart of something. <laughs> Today, I didn't even, I didn't even pick up on that. I got to plead ignorance here. 
but there's um there's this needs and the weird thing is so she calls him up on the phone i need you to do this for me there's 500 bucks in it for you and he leverages her i'll do it for a thousand <laughs> so she's like okay fine so now this is um his name is Jesse, the meathead. And now he goes to Catherine Heigel and says, This is our chance to get married. They're in high school. But they're gonna use the thousand bucks now to get married. They get in his van with Eagle's wings on the side and go to her trailer. The two dolls are sitting there with a note with instructions. That's an of awesome course, van, by the way. No longer down by the river. It's a road trip movie now because it, it, the note says you got to take it to a cemetery. It would have been better if the van had a wizard painted on the side of it. Holding a staff with a beam of light coming out of it. Yes. I'm to the, <laughs> I'm to the point in my life that I would drive around in that way right now. <laughs> And as you go through the neighborhood, people close doors and pull down their blinds as you do. I mean, I'd, I'd be I'd be cranking out some like, you know, Pantera. <laughs> Seal yes. Panther. Got Ronnie James Dio coming out of the speakers yes. when the waterbed is in the back. Yes. Some early Sabbath. <laughs> so he gets the dolls. Uh, they put them in the van. Uh, also, in the meantime, while they were getting ready, the evil uncle comes out to the truck, and he's going to plant weed in the van. Like I said, so, there's not a good guy in this movie. I like this part, though. He goes to check the van. All the doors are locked. He scurries over to the garage, and he gets a Slim Jim. But doesn't the, use it. <laughs> he uses it to jimmy the lock, not to slide it into the door panel and unlock it. He's like jabbing it into the side of the van and the door pops open. He's okay. Gonna, he, it's exactly what he does. He, I don't even know if he used it on the car. I think he just yanked the door open. Well, the the POV is inside the van. You know, yeah, we're, but we're you can't shoot. see. He's not. You Normally, they take and put that Slim Jim in between the window and the door frame. And right. He's he not does, doing he, that at all. No, you just hear metal clanking as he's jamming it into the door frame, I guess. And then the door pops open. He's like, ha, ha, ha. So John Ritter climbs into the truck and plants the weed under a seat cushion or something. And then he hears laughter from the front seat. Now, as he goes to the garage, there's this interplay between the dolls. Chucky pulls out a knife and he's like, yeah, that's it. I'm going to knife this bastard. And she gets all pissy with him. What is that knife super glued to your hand? What are you talking about? Like, oh, you're so uncreative. Like, she's a harping wife at this point. Yes. <laughs> like, oh, you kill so boring. It's always a knife with you. What's up with that? Can't you be creative? He's like, okay, well, then, uh, you know, all right, here, I'll use a ball peen hammer. It's like, ah, oh, you're so boring. She calls it predictable. <laughs> you know why, so right? Well, just so we could get this death scene. No, I told you, everything in this movie calls back to something else. 
So in the very first child's play, he kills his first victim with a ball peen hammer in the head and sends her. She falls out a window. Ah, uh, okay. So, so that he has to have an original death every time. Uh, well, or it's just something that calls back to a different death. Yeah, it, but she gets mad at him otherwise. Oh, you're always stabbing. You're always beating people with a hammer. You know that kind of thing. So. In fact, in fact, the scene where she's electrocuted in the bathtub was originally mm -hmm. how uh, a character named Maggie was supposed to die in the original Child's Play, and they they didn't use it. They they scrapped it for something else. Yeah, he could have thrown that right in her fat face, right? Yeah, hey, I killed you with a television in the bathtub. Shut up. That was original. Zip it, it woman. A, yeah, it's not that original. It's supposed to be in your first movie. <laughs> so this is the solution they come up with the two dolls he lines up a row of 20 penny ham nails i guess on the steering wheel i thought the, he had no a, no the it was a bed sheet it was like in a sheet above like above him or something right no wasn't it the airbag oh it was an airbag okay i couldn't figure out what, how how they made it work well they couldn't either but this is what they did so that that was their solution john ritter's in the van now he hears the laughter and he starts slowly crawling his way up to the front seat because he wouldn't just normally just take two moves and get up there like what the hell is going on here we have to have a dramatic approach he sees her thinks it's weird then he looks over and sees chucky and freaks Chucky swings his arm, activates the airbag ostensibly, and promptly sends all the nails into the face of John Ritter as he collapses. And then he obviously looks like Pinhead from the Hellraiser movies, and Chucky leans over and is like, where have I seen this before? Dun, dun, dun. Told you. There's your culture reference, folks. So, And here's another little piece of trivia for you. Andrew Robinson, who played Sergeant Botnick in Child's Three, Child's Play Three, was in the first Hellraiser, her, her first Hellraiser movie. This thing is <laughs> so, so incestuous. It's like <laughs> it's like everybody's involved in this thing in some way. Now this it's makes like no sense. It's like the Kennedys of of horror. <laughs> <laughs> They're related to somebody somewhere. Everybody knows someone. But the kids come out of the house. Now we have to believe these two dolls are able to haul the police chief over, lift him up, and dump him under the bench seat in the van without anybody noticing in a matter of seconds. Okay. She's scrubbing. She's scrubbing <laughs> blood off of the bottom of a metal floor and scrubbing it in a very hurried, hurried fashion. Like she's going to get all the blood off before they come in. And it doesn't even matter because he opens the door and just sh throws her suitcase in the back and hits her in the head. <laughs> yeah. Of course, Chucky doesn't help her out in the cleaning. You know, the guy that doesn't clean any dishes, God forbid, he actually helps her clean up blood. So this kicks off our road trip. I guess. So all four of them. So they're on their way to... New Jersey to deliver the dolls. And now this, everything gets really kind of confused, I guess. 
I don't get it, but Jesse is suspicious. People start piling up all the deaths now. You know, the people are showing up dead. It's making national news. Jesse thinks Jade is behind it. Jade thinks Jesse might be behind it. They're still going on the trip, though. They're still doing stuff. Because he's got, well, he got paid $500. You know, he's got to hold mm-hmm. his end of the bargain. And there's another 500 waiting for him in Jersey. So uh, cool. I mean, at, at any point, couldn't he have just have taken those dolls, thrown them onto the side of the road, and be like, let's get out of here? And then they're done. That's it. That's end of movie. Yeah, would have been, but um, so the so John Ritter calls up his lackey to go pull the van over and find the marijuana. So he's got it. They're busted. This is it. End the road for you, Jesse. Ah, ah, ah. Chucky slips out. Oh my gosh! Could we talk about this scene? He's able to shove a shirt into the gas tank of the police cruiser undetected while the cop goes back in the car to get ready for the arrest. Chucky lights it and manages to get back to the van in time before the thing blows up and all over New Jersey. (laughs) Let's talk about this scene just for a second, just for a moment, briefly. Let's discuss in the first three Child's Play movies, you never saw Chucky kind of, you always saw Chucky's feet or you saw Chucky's upper torso. You never saw both at the same time. It's, it's kind of like when we watched Kermit the Frog walk unassisted for the very first time in Muppet Christmas Carol. <laughs> that was the first time we ever got to see his legs and his upper torso moving at the same exact time. It was weird and it was creepy because our brains have told us that's not how it works. This is the first time Bride of Chucky is the first time that we get to see actual Chucky uh, doing his whole body move. And it's weird. (laughs) And it's freaky. So when he jumps out of the van, we start by seeing his little legs run. It's clearly not real legs. I mean, it's clearly somebody in real, real, somebody's real toddler is running across. Then we see him drop to his knees and crawl down the sidewalk. Right. It's somebody in a suit. Mm -hmm. I can't find them on IMDb, but if you watch the, the trailer credits, they give credit to body doubles for Chucky and Tiffany. Yeah, well, they they did that in the the final scene too, where they're having the shovel fight in the graveyard, and the it's a crane shot from above, but they're clearly is. so. Ch- oh yeah, it's clearly two uh, two dwarven people in dress up. So Chucky has been played by Ed Gale, and Ed Gale's still alive. Born in 1963, he's done a whole lot of really creepy, freaky stuff like this. He did Howard the Duck, Spaceballs. So he does Ed, so he does that, and then they don't have, they just had one of Tiffany's. Let's see if she's on here. Nope, that's not her. She's a tall person. Maybe it's Debbie Lee. 
Yes, it's Debbie Lee. So Debbie Lee Carrington. Uh, she she passed away at the age of 58. Um, did you see Total Recall? Wow. She's Thumbelina in, in Total Recall. The short, <laughs> okay. the short little midget prostitute. You know talking about? <laughs> right. So she does the body double work for, for Tiffany, and Ed Gale does the body work double for it is off-putting. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a uh, uncanny valley kind of thing going on because oh. they, pretty much what happens, like you're talking about with Kermit too. What we've done over the years is fill in the blanks mentally, so that when you actually see it for the first time, like I remember talking about Kermit. I remember the scene where he was on a bicycle. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. And it was like, ooh, okay, this is different <laughs> and it doesn't fit because it doesn't match what you've always had in your head i guess but it but yeah i mean it kind of worked here because everything about chucky is screwed up yes i but mean it's just, he it's even he's more naturally unsettling yeah it's just it, it does fit though because he's always unsettling so it's like yeah i, I mean i know what you're saying it doesn't quite fit but nothing about him does. So this does fit him <laughs> in a way. And then they make this, they do this thing. And it's one of those things that they, they did, they do where they show something for zero reason. Like they, they show something happening and it makes you think that that's going to come into play later. And then it's never addressed again. So like he, he crawls to the car, he shoves in a shirt he doesn't tear off a piece of a rag. He takes the whole shirt and sticks it into the gas tank. Now, let's just forget the fact that that shirt doesn't go bound. He didn't shove it more than six inches into the gas tank. So it's clearly not in the gas tank. It's just in the nozzle leading from the, you know, where you, you put the nozzle for the gas. It's mm -hmm. just in that little neck. It's not even in the gas. But forget that. The fact that he's able to light this shirt with, a, with that silver lighter. And it goes all the way into the gas tank and explodes the car into a giant fireball. Then he turns around. He, he's crawling back on the sidewalk, and the lighter falls out of his pocket. Did you notice this? Yeah, yeah, because that was it, a plot point later. They made, Was it? Mm-hmm. Where was it? I missed it. Um, because when it, – not that it makes any damn sense. I was going to bring it up, but we can do it here. The climax scene in the – graveyard where the cop shows up um there was something maybe it was a news reporter something they there was a confusion because the serial killer's fingerprints have shown up all these crime scenes even though he died in 88 so they lifted somehow his fingerprints off of the lighter that chucky was holding so chucky has the serial killer's fingerprints is what we're led to believe. So the silicone doll has fingerprints? <laughs> that match. The, that's what that we went with? And it matches the soul of whoever occupies the doll. This is where, <laughs> this was a plot point. So like they're looking for the two kids thinking they're part of the crime, but police are confused because the serial killer's fingerprints are at the crime scene. I feel like I want Pinhead from the Puppet Master to come in here and kill both of them. Or at least kill the scriptwriter. Somebody. somebody Either works. Deserves a, somebody deserves a strangler. 
this is this is the movie we're supposed to buy into. But okay. But I did like the explosion of the cop car scene because they they got pulled over back at the teenage hangout spot. And as the car blows up, the various pieces are flaming and get flung into things like the hood blasts into the windows of the building. And then a t- there's a guy on a payphone and goes, oh, crap, and runs away just before a flaming tire blasts into the phone booth. <laughs> I was on board with this. I was like, all right, this is cool stuff. This and works. He, and then there's a guy smoking pot the entire time. Right. It's your classic white stoner kid, white yippie stoner, smoking pot the whole time. And uh, and Chucky, while he's on his hands and knees, flips the guy off for no reason. Because he's, because he's Chucky. He's a sociopath. But this allows the kids to escape, you know, because all this mayhem and a cop dying isn't something that would keep them in town to get to the bottom of. Nope, we got to go to Jersey and collect 500 bucks. That's more important. And um, on the road, now the, was it Damien, the blonde kid? Is that when he joined them? I didn't quite pick up on when he was on board with them. So was it after the hotel? It was after the hotel. Okay. They both they both call him thinking that the other is a serial killer. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's why he shows up. So along the way, the two lovers decide to check into a I guess by the hour honeymoon suite hotel that's about as gross and disgusting as any you can imagine. You know, this is the one with a heart shaped bathtub and water beds and all of that kind of nonsense. So the two of them check in here, despite the fact that they both don't trust each other. While they're there, this randy, cheesy couple barnstorm into their room thinking it's their suite, and it's not. And they're like outwardly swingers. Aren't you too hot? Aren't you? Come on. The more the merrier. I mean, they were just basically like, let's get down. I'm DTF. Yeah, they wanted to suddenly have a foursome or something. Yeah. And and they're both dressed in like, I guess it's almost like lingerie from Party City that she's wearing. He's got on silk boxers with hearts all over them. I mean, this is like central casting newlywed stuff, 101. Uh, I don't even think they were newlyweds, right? They were just trying to rob people back and forth. Maybe. <laughs> she stole his. She stole his wallet. Well, I mean, you know, they're rapacious swingers, so they don't have any morals, Paul. Of course you did. This is true. So they go back in their room, and they get hot and heavy on the waterbed. And for some reason, Tiffany, this is Jennifer Tilly's doll, she goes into their room. The the why behind this, I have no idea. But oh, Because she saw him. She saw the girl steal the wallet and said, so that's not theirs. It doesn't belong to them. Okay. <laughs> Look, I'm going to explain it to you. I can't explain to you the why. No. I'm going to explain to you the what. So she's got a certain morality about her that leads to her wanting to kill people. Well, so she, all she wants to do is kill people. 
but for some reason mm-hmm. she also has some sort of weird silicone heart of gold <laughs> where, where she, knows she, she knows there's something wrong and she's trying to figure i don't know it's so theft is wrong murder is not this is her moral foundation but the couple's getting hot and heavy it's a little disturbing to watch this and while she's on her back and the guy is mauling her, she looks up into the mirror on the ceiling and sees Tiffany's reflection while she's holding a bottle of champagne. She screams. He looks up, sees the reflection. He screams. Tiffany throws the champagne bottle at the mirror on the ceiling, at which point we see shards of glass that are like daggers descending on the couple. And... We have to buy into the fact that all of these shards stab, penetrate, gut them, and the bed. The bed explodes with water and blood. <laughs> and um, I, at this point, I have no idea why I'm watching this movie anymore. But this happened. This is um, th- this is how they died. Yeah, they died via, and this is where you and I were discussing before the show, is that a lot of this movie or parts of this film looked like it was designed for a 3D interface of some sort, not like the 3D we know now, where you know the different, you know, they, they got the different layers, but like stuff coming at you, coming at the camera, like in My Bloody Valentine. There's, a, and this is one of those scenes where the camera is clearly panning up at CG glass coming down on you. And that's supposed to make you feel as if the glass is coming at you. It makes you wonder if there wasn't like a 3D retroscope or whatever they were supposed to do with it. Well, it uh, it definitely had a 3D feel to it because it was like all the glass, like you said, CGI. It's coming right at the camera. And it looked like it had an effect, I guess. It felt like, and, and this was in an era where Hollywood was putting out a lot of movies in 3D just by rope. It wasn't like they shot it in 3D. They would convert the print after the fact for 3D in order to charge more money. And it, it, if anything, it feels like they went back to the producers like, hey, give us some 3D scenes to justify this. And so they did this kind of conversion. So they had the CGI glass coming down in such a way it is possible. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe I, I couldn't find any articles on whether this was intended to be filmed in 3D or was or whether it was intended to be shown in 3D. I have found zero on it. But yeah, it I looked into it, too, on, and there's didn't, nothing. I didn't see any indication of it. It just feels like that. But this I is what Hollywood was doing at the time. It was really just kind of a cynical money grab. So I I would buy it. I mean, if they if you told me they did this intentionally, okay. Because I mean, overall, the movie itself doesn't really have an immersive 3D feel to it. It's just these little gratuitous scenes now and then would pop up. Like, oh, that's what they were doing. So this kills the couple. Uh, did you catch this though when the uh, when the housekeeping maid came in to sweep up the suite, it was Kathy and Jimmy. Yeah, from Hocus Pocus. <laughs> I had to laugh at that one. I did not see that coming. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. And it's a very, I don't, is it a, is it, would you call that a cameo? I, 
I don't know. I guess not really. It was just kind of a character scene. She just, you know, had a small role in the film. It just, I don't know, it seemed, seemed kind of beneath her. I think her career was kind of established at that point, wasn't it? But yeah, unlike I mean, she, Catherine Heigl, who was just launching things. Yeah, I mean, she was in Sister Act 1 and 2, and she was in Rat Race. And by well, this would have been, that's a Rat Race is 2001, so Focus Pokers is 93. I mean, yeah, I would say so. She, I don't know why she would do this particular thing. Maybe she was in an episode of Murder, She Wrote. <laughs> yes, could be. I'm, my guess is she might have known somebody in the production and just did it as like a friend kind of thing, a nod to them or something. I don't know. Like, I mean, her scene wasn't needed. All she did is come in, sweep up a bit, and then seize the bodies and scream. That was a, all she did. Yeah, it could have been anybody doing that. Lent nothing to the proceedings, but I'm not here to judge. Well, yeah, I am here to judge, but not that. So, um, yeah, now we get to the point where our two lovers doubt each other and they call their buddy in. So they basically, well, I, I almost skipped over a crucial scene here, Paul. Uh-oh. Um, Chucky saw this this honeymoon death scene provoked by Tiffany. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You're gonna and he I thought we would glaze right over it, but no, you want to bring it up. Well, we kind of have to because of what happens later. Um, Chucky just loses his mind. His woman did this and he's just, Oh, I love you. You're my woman. This is just, Oh, and we have a sex scene between the dolls. It's it's not as bad as the one from America, America World World Police, America. Or what's it called? Is it America World Police? Yeah. Team America World Police. So it's not as bad as that one, but it's still there. It's. They bad. address the doll from the yep. back, and you see a doll's butt. We see them kissing. We uh, see them undressing. Where did the tongue and come? We could have done without the tongue. Could have done without this movie, but this is what we do. I feel like uh, a he says I feel like Pinocchio, a real boy. <laughs> it's like a Pinocchio going on here. And then we see in shadow form on a wall the two of them copulating she asked fantastic she says do you have a rubber and he said no one who calls it that well yeah they had to use it for this line though because she says do you have a rubber and he says are you kidding me i'm entirely made of rubber which is actually false because he's made of silicone and foam latex why do you want to ruin this magical moment paul I'm just saying, look, if you're going to have a line in the movie, you need to make sense. <laughs> uh, we abandoned that. It took that, me, it I took think me it, right out of the movie. It took me right out of it. This is what did it, huh? Then mm -hmm. this, this, okay. The, the doll sex scene is what pulled you out of reality. <laughs> okay, got it. Now we, now we know where your line is. <laughs> so the two of them, jeez, ah, yeah. 
we endured this scene. This actually happened. And in the meantime, in the uh, in the wake of this disturbance, our two lovers are doubting each other. They both independently call their buddy David. And that's when he alerts them to the fact that they're now national suspects across the news networks. But David, David with the heart of gold believes that the two of them are innocent. So um, he goes and meets up with them halfway to Hackensack. And he, he gets to where they're at, but then from that point forward is riding with them in the van. So I assume he either abandoned a car or he took a cab across a few states. But he's now on board with them. And believes them. He's like, oh, I'm all. And then he lifts up the bench seat and sees the dead sheriff or dead chief of police. And no longer believes them. And he pulls the gun from the chief of police and wields it on them. This and is then where the um, movie gets derailed hard. Like it wasn't really on. The, it was teetering on the rails. There was at least the most some momentum in the movie. And the story was kind of pushing its way forward, and then and it, but it was doing so at a sort of a plotting pace, really, right? Kind of plodding along, and just kind of. Well, they were hitting enough points, and then I think they, I think the screenwriters ran into some problems here, and they had to do a patch job. So they had to kind of justify a few things. They had to figure out how to get to the next area. So this scene is kind of what happened. It, everything here is out of necessity, basically. Well, and it's, a, it's as if they were filming. It's like, how many days we got left in the shooting schedule? And they went, two. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. Wrap this up. And then, they just, then the story just kind of, like, flew in. This, they pull over on the side of the road, and then the, the two – I don't know where they came from, but the, the two puppets now have each have their own firearm. Where they get them? Where they get the pistols from? Uh, Yeah. I don't, did, did the did the chief of police have three pistols on him? Because the because the gay kid unclear. takes one pistol, and and this bugs me in every movie with a with a with a gun. Somebody's pointing a gun at him, and then they decide, and everybody's like, "Oh, don't shoot me!" And then he cocks it. Well, you you weren't going to shoot me anyway. <laughs> you just pulled the slide back, and a, and a round did not eject, which means you didn't have it loaded. Mm-hmm. Now I I refuse to believe that the police the, the police chief or the chief of police wouldn't carry around a loaded firearm with one in the chamber, but you know. Yeah, but here, see, Paul, um, David's not going to be aware of handgun maintenance and how to wield a weapon like this because he's a figure skater. Dude, he has his finger on the trigger when he pulls the slide back. That's that's called automatic bam. <laughs> But, but he, he has a, he, and then for some reason, there's a cop traveling on the other side of the road, an interstate cop, and he just decides. To, I guess did he see maybe did he see the the? Well, I the think that guy's name. Did he see his gun and decided David, to turn around? Well, no, I, they, I I think because the two kids were now national suspects that the the van was recognizable. So he, because he's on the other side of the highway traveling, and he sees the van, the wings on the side of the van, and knows that's them. I got you. Okay, that makes sense. So, so they pulled over because David's got the gun. 
Did you notice this? That like throughout this movie, we saw how many times a close up of the rubber hands reaching down and grabbing something. Like they figured that effect out and they loved it. I think half oh, a dozen yeah. times easy. We saw a small rubber hand grabbing a knife, a gun, picking stuff up off the ground. Anything. <laughs> the lighter. I mean, they loved that effect. So we see both of them grab their book guns. So David's got a gun out. The two dolls now put guns on David, who opens the back door of the van. As the cop car cuts across the median to come over to them. And as the two dolls, he's outside the van now, the two dolls approach him and David freaks out and backs up into traffic and whammo gets blasted by a semi that just ran into a watermelon cart. Like obliterated disappears from the earth just disappears he is he's there one minute he's a stain the next yes he turns into pink mist instantly dude that i there's people get hit by trains that that doesn't happen to them come on the trains have more velocity and more mass behind them you're saying this was not a proper representation paul like it would have made sense that he like just got knocked out or not knocked out but like you know mangled very badly and flung down the highway and then you know chucky makes him drive over his friend as he leaves he would get cartwheeled like 50 yards away or something maybe but yeah no he gets the semi hits him and i it may have even been done with watermelons literally the gallagher the the name of the bus was or the the (laughs) the burst was amazing but um at this point now once again Oh, our best friend just got blasted into nothing. Let's let's escape. You know, they don't hang out. They don't mourn. Boom. They shut the doors. They hit the gas. Cop is in tow. Now Chucky opens the back door and with one shot, hits a tire, and the cop car goes spinning out of control, and they're free. I did notice, though, as they pulled away, you see the front of the semi. <laughs> and the guy's standing there rubbing his head like, what just happened? <laughs> so... The grill is all dented up. There's blood all over the front of the truck. Not a stitch of clothing to be found, though. No shirt, no shoes, nothing. He's just everything just just disappeared. Just wiped off the face of the planet. Bye, David. Okay, so um, this was a little bit of shorthand, too. They, They figure out, I guess, that the van is tipping them off. So they had to steal an RV. All of a sudden, we're now driving down the road in an RV with two people and two dolls because the dolls now have guns on our two heroes and force them to do everything. And nobody knows where the guns came from. They just have them. Nobody can explain to me how a tiny little doll finger can pull the trigger of a gun. How it can reach the, both the handle and the gun. I guess they're fortunate that they're holding 380s or 22s or something because... Well, I guess when she bought the... handle. When she bought the bride doll, she also got the expansion pack with all of the accessories. The My Little Serial Killer. Exactly. Expansion. <laughs> there you go. My My Little Buddy Rampage Edition. <laughs> so this is so now we're in an RV, and at one point, Tiffany wants to start cooking in the RV. She opens the pantry to get an apron, and the two elderly people that they stole the RV from are there dead. Of course. And she even, does she apologize to them or something? Oh, excuse me. 
something like that. She starts, she it's starts me. to believe that. This is why I said she gets that silicone heart of gold. Suddenly, she starts to believe that she, that Chucky's the bad guy, and that the two kids in love is what she always wanted but could never have and doesn't deserve. So she goes back and starts making a plate of cookies. And apparently some Swedish meatballs. Did she? Did did I hear yeah. her say something about meatballs? Well, I think she did that earlier. I think that instigated the first fight because he, she remembered he loved Swedish meatballs. Now she's making the cookies so that they can start another bitch fest about him not doing the dishes. You're still cooking. You're not even done yet. Why are you getting so mad about dishes? And, and that's is. when they, and that's when the two, the guy and the girl start playing them off each other. Because he mm-hmm. remembers what she said about dishes, and he t- <laughs> he eggs Chucky on is like, "Hey, you sure you want to be married to that? She's not much of a housekeeper, huh? You're not gonna take that from her, are you?" And then and then Catherine Heigl, which this is what doesn't make sense, is is Heigl never heard her say the comment. Her boyfriend heard her say the comment. You know, if you can do if you, if you get a, go through all the cooking, the least you can do is wash the dish. But but Heigl's the one that actually says the comment to her that gets her all pissed off. She's just flinging plates at his head from the back. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So this leads to some of the motivation, I guess, we need to have. Um, Heigl is both tied up but able to kick Tiffany into the oven. Uh, Chucky sees what's going on here, but uh, Jesse is able to shoot him out the window of the RV. But then the RV crashes. I didn't understand that part, but it does. He lost lost control of the RV simply by kicking. She shoves her in the stove, which is an awesome scene. And then he kicks him out the window and dodges a bullet. I guess maybe when he dodged a bullet, he had to twist the thing. But he dodges the bullet to the right, and the RV veers off to the left. So, Yeah, I guess. Well, they, they, anyway, they crash. Um, this allows Tiffany to then survive. She's in the, it was kind of a cool effect where she's in the oven and you see her black face come up to the glass and she's got her hands up and cause she's, she's baking herself. She herself is being baked, but then the crashes and she's able to guess, get out of the oven. Um, But I guess then Chucky goes to the crash scene. They get the drop on him again with the guns. Chuck forces them now to take him to the gravesite. I guess they crashed close enough to the cemetery. Okay, that's convenient. Um, hmm. Oh, this is the other point of convenience, too. That um, because of the fingerprint... This this was the key part, Paul, that you missed, I guess. Because the fingerprints of the killer were found at all these crime scenes, they're now going to exhume the body of the killer. Oh, okay. So this was a major point of convenience because now when they go to the gravesite, hey, guess what? It's already been dug up. 
So they dug down to the coffin. They just never opened the coffin up. <laughs> this is what the authorities in New Jersey do. Okay, guys, there's the coffin. Uh, let's all knock off. We'll pick this up tomorrow. <laughs> so, okay, so now our, oh, man, our quartet of heroes show up at the at the scene. Tiffany's got the gun on Jesse to hold him. Oh, no, wait. Chucky. God damn, this is so confusing. Chucky gets Catherine Heigl to the gravesite and forces her now to open the coffin to get the amulet. Somewhere along the line, though, Jesse gets the drop on Tiffany because he's holding her and got a gun to her head to try to force the issue with Chucky. And then a cop shows up. Yeah, it's just one cop, right? It, it wasn't like a right. series of cops. It's just one dude. Yeah, one yeah. old cop comes comes onto the scene and um, things. Well, I guess wait, the fight breaks out right between the two of them. Some it, this movie defies logic to such a degree. At some point in time the two dolls are getting in a fight with each other with shovels. This is when we get that overhead shot and we can see the two miniature figures dressed up like them having the fight. It kind of looked a little better, but then they reconcile and they start to kiss. I love you. I love you. Blah, blah, blah. And then she gets a knife and for some reason stabs Chucky in the back. He says, why she says, so you would die, and then I'm going to meet you in hell, and we could live together forever. Which makes no sense, because they got the amulet there. That's That was the whole purpose of everything, was it not? I mean, that's his, his rat-infested skeleton is in the coffin, and then she pulls... Catherine Heigl grabs the amulet, throws it at him. Now they're supposed to transfer it to their bodies. Why does she have to kill him to meet up in hell? I'm to the point now where I'm almost hating this movie. It, it doesn't get any better. <laughs> and so, um, geez. So, at, so at some point, Jesse gets a shovel, swats Chucky back down into the coffin, into the grave where the coffin's at. Um, and that's when the, the, the cop shows up. The the two kids have guns drawn on Chucky down in the coffin, but then the cops like drop your weapons, and then he sees Chucky running around like a banshee inside the grave area. And um, that's what's that's what's really weird is that he tells her to throw her weapon down, and she does. Then he walks over with his weapon drawn, and she just grabs it from him. Yeah. <laughs> But at some point, too, before that happened, Chucky had stabbed Tiffany as well and clocked her with a shovel. She should be dead, but is not, we come that to find out. That scene was amazing, by the way. Yeah, it was a cool scene, as disturbing and unsettling as it was. Um, but now, like, Tiffany's on the ground, seemingly expired. The cop comes over and looks at her. Like, what the hell's going on here? And then her eyes pop open. She starts screaming, hey, cool, let's get a blast of vaginal blood in the cop's face, because we need to see that. Oh, my gosh. 
This part was ridiculous. And he starts, you know, oh God, oh gross, and then looks down. Her stomach starts churning a bit under the dress, and he's mystified. What the hell? What? Uh, what's happening? Um. Basically, this cop had called in and said that the two kids are innocent. He he should have no idea who they are outside of the news reports, but he's declared they're innocent now. Go on, move on. You're on your way. So he's checking out Tiffany. This happens. She's screaming and then promptly gives birth to a baby doll. We see a demonic doll leaving her vaginal canal with little teeth. It's got little pointy teeth. Yes. Very, very pointed teeth, screaming, wailing. And then we get a flash cut of the, of the baby leaping onto the cop and presumably killing him. Yeah. And and I'm guessing in the first, I don't recall in the first three films that when they stabbed or shot Chucky, that, it says they shot him in the heart and he died. When his soul infests something, does it bring in his bodily fluids too? Because earlier she was crying and that's what led to the the doll sex. It's like, oh, you were crying earlier. She's like, I wonder what else works. Well, they they got to have a variety of viscous fluids running through them because he impregnated her. Uh, when he got shot a few times, he fell on the coffin and slid down and left a trail of blood. So... So, yeah, I guess when a soul occupies a silicone doll, that all the bodily fluids occupies said doll as well. It's science, Paul. I don't know why you're questioning this. But, um, yeah, that's the that's that's our final shot there. The cop with a baby on his face. Cut to credits. Cue the heavy metal. Well, they made this movie. So this movie was made in 98. Seed of Chucky would not come out until 2004, six years later. Right, but this was the setup. This was it the... It took uh, six years to, to wrap up that setup. Like, <laughs> well... That's a, that's a heck of a setup. Like, I don't even think... That's that's where they started in the, in the writing room. They started with... Um, let me paint you a picture. Evil demonic baby coming from the womb of a doll. Let's build to that, fellas. Let's go. We're going. We're, we're right into that point. There's the. There's the Z. Now give me A through Y. That's that's how they go. Mm-hmm. How would you not already have what the next A is going to be? Well, they probably had it written. They just didn't have the budget. I don't know. They, uh, <laughs> in Seed of Chucky. He's, his name is Glenn, Gentle Glenn. He's a ventriloquist dummy. And now he wants to go find his uh, his parents. Cause wait, 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 wait. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wait, wait, wait. We're supposed yeah. to believe that a doll grows up. Yes. And here's the thing. All right, so here's, here's the thing. Wow. It's, here's, the, the, here's the thing. Gentle Glenn is a ventriloquist dummy the offspring of evil dolls Chucky and Tiffany, both of whom are now deceased. So both of them are dead. When the orphan Glenn hears that a film is now being made about his parents, they're going all a scream, scream and stab. 
he goes to Hollywood and resurrects them in an attempt to get to know them better. He's horrified when his parents embark on a new killing spree as Chucky is equally horrified that his son has no taste for evil. But we watched him kill somebody out the womb. <laughs> he's he's Glinda the Good Witch. That's what they call him. Gentle Glen. Wow. This is... Okay, well... My brain is uh, properly affected. I don't know that I could properly do long division any longer as a result, but uh, we'll put that to a test later. Eesh. So this is our first Halloween venture. We got another one coming up, don't we? We, we have an episode on the 27th. Uh, yes, we do. And I think I know what we should talk about. I shudder to I ask. You should. I'll send it to you in chat afterwards. With you. Or should, we, should I make it a surprise or should we just go ahead and so just go ahead and mention it now? Let's let's sit on it a bit. Let's make it a oh, surprise. You're not going to want to sit on it once I send it to you, though. Well, see, you and I are made of more <laughs> enduring stuff. constitution than others. We, we need to uh, noodle this a little bit. I threw it in we, the chat for you. Okay. Yep. Do so. And uh, in the meantime, everybody, you can get your Halloween preparations in order. Start uh, and delving into the season, as it were. We'll, uh, as we just said, we'll be back in two weeks here with another Halloween venture on disasters in the making. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.